Today's reading is taken from 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 to 26, and that's found on page 1196 of the Church Bibles. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Ms. Lena, let's pray to ask God to help us with uh, this passage tonight. Father, please would you speak to us through your word as we seek to rightly understand it. And we pray, Father, this might make a difference uh, to us as your people here and to us individually. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to live these words of yours out in our lives together and uh, individually. We pray, Lord, we'll take these to heart for Jesus' sake. Amen. So do keep that open. It's uh, 2 Timothy 2. We're looking at verses 22 to the end of the chapter, page 1196. So who captained our glorious World Cup winning football team in 1966? No one, obviously. No. Who was the captain of the 1966 World Cup team? Bobby Moore. Excellent. Okay. There we are. Okay. And uh, who was the captain of the World Cup winning team, the Rugby World Cup winning team in um, 2003? Martin Johnson. Yes, that's the one. Excellent. There we are. Um, who was the, um, just more recently, who was the captain of the winning uh, Cricket World Cup team in 2019? Owen Morgan. Owen Morgan, Yes. There we go. I don't know what's wrong with his mouth, but there we are. And uh, and who is the captain of the winning Ashes team in 2019? Yes, of course, it is, in fact, the one and only Joe Root. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully we'll win the match that starts on Wednesday at Lords. Now, uh, my point is this. Um, those are all great teams that won those things. Not so sure about the England cricket team quite at the moment, but uh, uh, certainly the, <clears throat> those first three teams, great teams. And uh, teams need leading. In fact... Teams have leaders. Teams have leaders. And we are a team here. Here at church, tonight, here, this evening. Uh, We're actually a team. Um, You might think when you're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 22 to the end of the chapter, it's thinking it's talking particularly about just the leader. But he makes it absolutely clear here that we're thinking about a team that we're doing this together. Yeah, teams have leaders, but Bobby Moore couldn't have won the World Cup on his own, nor Martin Johnson in 2003, nor Owen Morgan last month. Teams uh, need leaders, but you need a team to win these things, and we're a team. In fact, there are lots of teams here. We have a staff team here. I'm the leader of the staff team, but we have a staff team doing stuff. Uh, your small group. It's like a team and uh, has a leader. Your small group will have a leader. KO is a team. They have a team of leaders. Stephen leads the KO leaders team. The James Hannington Memorial Trust, James Hannington Memorial Trust, trustees uh, are a team. 
and uh, Monica leads that and so on. Now, as we get to this passage, uh, we have to remind ourselves that uh, as Paul writes this, he is writing, it is after all to Timothy, so he's writing to Timothy, a leader of a team. Um, And so we need to remind ourselves that Paul is writing to a team leader and Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus. And much of this is specifically for him and therefore to church leaders today. So therefore it applies to people like me, for instance. But uh, have a look at verse 22 more closely and you'll see it says, flee the evil desires of youth. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. We'll get to that too. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So actually we're doing it as a team. Okay. So we're doing this uh, fleeing and pursuing as a team. We're doing it together. And uh, and so I want to say, although this is clearly for leaders like me, it is actually something for all of us. And in fact, the way it applies to people like me as a leader uh, actually involves all of us for at least three reasons. First, you get the leaders you deserve. So if you're not holding me to these kind of things, I will go off the rails. That is just the natural nature of things, okay? So you get the leaders you deserve. You need to help me to apply this stuff to my life and also the leader of your small group and so on and so on and so on, okay? Second, uh, we have many leaders, many leaders here at BH. Uh, Youth leaders, children's work leaders, women's fellowship, Tuesday group, you name it. Loads of leaders and all leaders need this passage. And the third reason for this is for everyone is this. You could be a leader of the future. If you're not a leader now, you could very well be a leader of the future. Um, uh, Say in Explorers or your small group or maybe going off to to Bible college. Uh, Daniel is there at the moment. Are you the next one? Could it be you? Uh, Catherine is going off over here, getting married on Saturday. So uh, bring cakes. Tell Catherine you need to give her a cake for Saturday, okay? And you'd like to come along and be here to support Catherine just so they get married on Saturday. Uh, but Catherine is thinking about full-time paid ministry in the future. Shame is not here, but, you know, Yeovil will benefit. So, uh, but, you know, could, could it be you, the next person who's here? And we're a team. All churches are teams by definition, By definition, we're a team. Teams have leaders. Oh, and one other thing I want to say before we get to the main point is that we're a team, but we're also an opposed team. We are a team, but there is opposition. Now, not all teams in the world in which we live are obviously opposed. Maybe at work you're part of a team and there's no obvious opposition at all. But we do need to understand that every single church team is opposed. Everyone. And that means us too. And there are three great opponents. There's sin, there's the flesh, and the devil. They are there opposing us. So you just see it in in verse... um, uh, Well, we see it right the way through this passage, actually. You can see sin, the flesh, and the devil right the way through from verse 22, sin, and then the flesh, which you see in verses 23 and 24, this quarreling and so on, and then the devil uh, coming in towards the end there in verse 26. So we see our three great opponents there. And uh, um, uh, now, it may not happen all the time, But we need to be aware, we need to be clear in our own minds, as Christian people, as a team here, we will be opposed from within 
and from without. It happens. Our own hearts, sin and the flesh and the devil working through stuff and the sinfulness of other people and so on. We are opposed. In the spiritual realm, there are forces working against us. And they'll do all in their power to stop the work of the gospel here, to bring division here, to make us woolly here, to make us strident and quarrelsome here, and for us to engage in stupid and foolish arguments. They will do all that they can to make our reputation. Oh, BH, that's the place where they uh, they don't get on with each other. They're grossly divided. And that's the place where they quarrel. And they'll quarrel with you if you go, you don't want to get involved with BH. That's the kind of opposition that happens, spreading that kind of stuff. All right? So what we want to be is a church that is known to be clear and firm about the truth of the gospel. But where we don't get into foolish and stupid quarreling about tiny matters that honestly don't matter terribly much. So, we're a team, together. Here, at BH, I'm the main leader of the team, but there are many more, and we are opposed. Now, the issue that you get here in verses 22 to 26 is not, uh, well, the issue is how we deal with those who oppose what is going on here. And the opposition can come from within the church, probably even more than from outside. Uh, so I've got four questions of the passage, uh, which are for all of us to take to heart and to think about, which will help us about that. And the first question is this. Uh, and here's the question. Are we an immoral team? Now, I'm not sure immoral is quite the right word, but when you look at verse 22, you think it might be. Flee the evil desires of youth. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking... Um, Well, evil desires of youth, obviously Timothy was probably in his 30s or maybe his 20s. Evil desires of youth, it must be sex, mustn't it? It's got to be sex. I mean, that that is the evil desire of youth. And it doesn't help. If you've got one of the old version of the endow authorised version of the Bible, uh, it talks here and it says, flee youthful lusts. In a rather sort of self-righteous kind of way. And, uh, uh, but let's look at the context to find out what it's most likely to mean. So you look at verse 23 there, just the next verse. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Or you go back to verse 14, just at the top of that thing, that, uh, just at the top, near the top of that column. Um, Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. Or verse 16, avoid godless chatter. So actually, I think this, this uh, evil desires of youth is much more likely to be things like being blind to other people's opinions. It's much more likely to be uh, assuming you're right, and because of course you're right, because you're always right, uh, everyone else must therefore be wrong. Or always wanting to get your own way, and arguing, arguing, arguing until you do get your own way, and never admitting that you are wrong in the first place. Or, always wanting to get into the next great great idea, which is going to solve all the problems of the, of the church at a stroke and take us forward into a, into a promised land of wonder and growth and uh, make us all superheroes in the church press. Or, never being able to admit the possibility that you might just possibly be mistaken. Now, I reckon that those are the kind of things that Paul is talking about. And he says to this Christian leader, young Christian leader of a church in Ephesus, which is altogether, I, I reckon, quite, quite like 
Brighton in many way, in many ways. And uh, and he says, look, you've got to run away from these things. You've got to run away from it, rather like Joseph did when Potiphar, Pharaoh's wife, grabbed him and said, come to bed with me. And he ran and left his cloak behind. But his run- fleeing is what he's talking about here. It means a flight from physical danger. As when Jesus and his family got out and go- went over to Egypt because they'd heard of what Herod had in plan from the massacre of the innocents in Matthew 2 and, and uh, verse 13. You see, we've got to run away from these things because sin is dangerous to the soul. Just thinking you're always right. It's dangerous to your soul. It's dangerous to your church if you're a pastor. It's always wanting to be noticed. It's wanting to make a, a name for yourself. Wanting your own way. It's dangerous to the soul and it's dangerous to the church if you're a pastor. Or your group if you're a leader. So instead... We need to do the precise opposite. So flee the evil desires of youth and the opposite, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. That's difficult, so do it along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's what we're aiming for. And when he says uh, pursue or aim for or hunt down or follow, that's a word that's just used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, where it says, but you, man of God, flee from all this, all this godlessness about money and so on, uh, in, the, in the just immediately preceding verses. It's the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, where it says, follow the way of love. In other words, pursue, run after the way of love. So, as Christians, and especially as young Christians, especially as Christians who are younger, we've got to run away from spiritual danger and run after spiritual good. Run after righteousness and faith and love and peace. And especially if you're a leader. And you need to encourage your leaders to do that. So you need to encourage me to flee the evil desires of an olding, getting older man and also the evil desires of youth while I'm at it and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. And especially in the light of what, what follows because there's a danger for Timothy. There's a danger for us as individuals uh, to, be, to be quarrelsome. So he's saying here, look, um, if you're getting into a heated argument, a quarrel, actually you need, to run, you need to run away from it. Get out of there. Stop it. Just walk out. And he's saying you need to pursue or run towards righteousness, faith, love and peace. And you need the help of others to do that. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Um, but we need to sometimes be challenged by other people to encourage us to do that. And, uh, and to thank us when we do manage it. And to encourage us to keep on going. Because there's a huge benefit of doing it with others. We're a team. So we do it together. So here, we don't want quarrels. So we run away from that together. And we pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. And we do that together. There are a lot of meetings that church leaders could go to. In fact, I could probably spend most of my waking hours going to um, hopeless and useless meetings of church pastors. But there is one which I really value. 
and which I will not miss, partly because I'm the convener of it, but uh, if I possibly can, actually I missed the last one because we were in, in a, we were um, got held up in India, but uh, uh, but the next one, just trying to organise at the moment, and it's the Sussex Gospel Partnership little cluster of SGP pastors in Brighton and Hove and along the coast to Worthing and so on. And I really value that because they help us do this. Because we are aiming to flee the evil desires of youth together and some younger pastors there and we are aiming to pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace together. And that cluster helps us to do that and that is a good thing. So we're a team and in a team we need each other. So ask that question, are we immoral? Are we, are, we, are we going after those evil desires which reflect whatever age we are? Here he's talking about youth, this need to be accepted, this need to be always right and so on. And I think sometimes that can affect everyone. Let's run away from that and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace and let's do it together. Second question is this, uh, as we are an opposed team, but are you, um, are we a quarrelsome team? Have a look at verses 23 to 24. This is uh, the presenting issue now. And let me give you an example. Soon after we arrived um, at BH, a local uh, young minister came to see me. Uh, there were plenty of local young ministers around here, evangelical ministers in those days. Uh, he's now left, and even if you do try and ask me who he was later on, I'm not telling you, okay? Um, anyway, he came to see me, and, uh, uh, and we'd never met before, and he came to see me. Um, I went into the kitchen, made a couple of mugs of tea, sat down in our front room, and within less than ten minutes probably six or seven, he was haranguing me uh, because he was of a Baptist persuasion uh, that, uh, I, that I was Anglican and how could I possibly be a Christian baptised babies? I thought, well, this is all very strange. Here's this young man we've never met before. He's sitting in my front room, he's drinking my tea and he's picking a quarrel with me. And so I, I um, acted like a kind of sponge for a while uh, as he carried on. Uh, and then I thought, well, I really ought to just point out that actually no Christians in the New Testament have babies. So you can't prove it from, uh, you can't say, well, it never happened in the New Testament because there's no time when it would have happened in the New Testament. Anyway, we carried on, uh, me being nice and uh, gentle, I hope, and soon he calmed down and we got on very well. So it was fine. It was good. But, uh, uh, but he was quite quarrelsome. And he was picking a fight. Do we pick fights? Even theological fights? Foolish and stupid arguments, verse 23. Um, they're, they're actually speculative, quarrelsome debates. Is, uh, I mean, Calvin called them quarrelsome speculation. Do we pick quarrelsome speculation with other people, just wanting to get our own way and prove that other people are wrong and that sort of thing? Um, uh, others are called it uncharitable polemics, but I prefer Calvin, quarrelsome speculation. Quarrels about opinions where Christians can genuinely differ, but somehow we still want to get our own way. Uh, years ago, when I was a student, well, kind of a postgraduate student type person, doing a PGC, uh, and uh, uh, I had some Baptist friends who used to invite me to dinner. And then after uh, dinner, they would get that. This happened a number of times during my PGC year, they would get their Bibles out and, uh, uh, and try and persuade me uh, out of the Church of England. 
And, and it went on for oh, probably a couple of hours each time I went to have dinner. So it's dinner, very nice dinner, and then the Bibles came out. And I thought, oh, here we go again. And, uh, uh, and it was uncomfortable, not because of what they were saying, because I, I, I enjoy debating and so on, but, uh, uh, but it was about how they were doing it and the whole situation of uh, kind of being lured in by the offer of dinner. And, they, and there was nothing about the fact they were then going to get the Bibles out and try and, you know, try and persuade me out of the Church of England. By the way, they failed. And here we are. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of um, almost aggressive kind of way of doing it. And, and Paul's saying here, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't be quarrelsome. Don't pick a fight. Um, the issue in verses 23 and 24 is not so much the issue, as the manner. The manner in which you do this. Are you quarrelsome? Are we a quarrelsome team? Do we pick arguments? It's more likely to happen when you're younger. As you get uh, old and, uh, and grey, it is less likely to happen, although not impossible. But are you quarrelsome? Timothy's told, don't have anything to do with quarrels. Walk away. He says, the Lord's servant, and that's a New Testament way of talking about a, a Christian leader, mustn't be quarrelsome. Do you pick a fight, theologically or more generally? If so, I want to say you're not ready for Christian leadership yet. As you might know, I'm involved just once a year in helping choose future vicars for the C of E. There's one question that the pastoral advisor, we're called advisors, Bishop's Advisory Panel, it's called, and we're called advisors, and there's one question that the pastoral advisor, I'm an educational advisor rather than a pastoral one, ought to ask, and it's this, are you quarrelsome? Because if you are, you shouldn't be ordained and leading a church yet. And also, when uh, it comes time for me to retire and us to choose a new vicar, don't worry, I'm not going just yet, but I am 63, you can do the maths. And uh, uh, then there is a little group of trustees, Nigel Sargedine, who's somewhere here, is one of them, and do pray for them that they won't choose someone who's quarrelsome, who's going to pick fights. You don't need it, and it's not good, and we don't want it. So, uh, uh, of course, uh, it says here, uh, leaders need to teach and be kind to everyone uh, and not resentful. And, of course, we do teach and we correct error. I'll do that a little bit later on, I hope. And, uh, but it's the manner in which we do it, and it's so important for all leaders. Kind, where it says there in, uh, uh, is it tw- um, in verse 23, is it? Uh, 24. And a Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Verse 24, we must be kind to everyone. It's literally mild. Mild. It's uh, the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 2 about a nursing mother. So we would treat someone who is disagreeing with us and where we're aiming to teach them in the same way that a mum would her baby. Very gentle. And it talks here of uh, uh, bearing this evil without resentment, being patient with foolishness, being tolerant of other people's foibles and uh, uh, wagons that they jump onto and bees in their bonnets and so on. And verse 24, again here, it actually means, um, it's talking about being polite, basically. It's talking about being polite and courteous with those who are picking quarrels. And of course we can see that in Jesus, but actually that's what we want 
for ourselves and for us as a team. I long for people, and I hope it happens, that say new folks, uh, visitors come to BH and they see how polite and courteous we are, not just with new people, but actually with each other. So are we quarrelsome? Third question is this. Are we a harsh team? Uh, the, uh, sometimes you think on the Mercedes team, uh, there's Hamilton and, uh, is that Veltier? That's Bottas, is it? And uh, they just don't seem to get on, do they? And uh, look at verse 25 here. Um, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Now, the issue here is, how are people going to, to turn around and come to understand it? Because um, uh, what, what happens here is that younger leaders like Timothy, they think they can win the argument, and therefore they'll win the person. Actually, it doesn't work like that. Because usually when you win the argument, you lose the person. That happens evangelistically with apologetics, and it happens with uh, debates and so on within the church. Instead, he says, look, gently instruct, put your cards on the table, and pray, and be gentle, and let God do the work of changing people's minds. That's what we need to be doing. We don't want to be a harsh team, we want to be a gentle team. So, there's no place in Christian leadership for being harsh with anyone. And if we're harsh or over-firm, then it just, it's just saying, actually, well, you think it's about you. And you think it's about you that you can argue people into your way of thinking and so on. Spiritual error is a spiritual problem. Therefore, we pray. Therefore, we trust God to change people's minds, that then people might come uh, to an understanding and change their minds and go on from there. So, are we a harsh team? Well, I don't think we are. Let's make sure we don't go that way. And then the final thing here is, um, are we the devil's team? Look at verse 26. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, it sounds a bit abrupt, doesn't it? Uh, but I just mentioned that spiritual error is a spiritual problem, and there is one who is behind all this, the devil. Uh, it's said that in North Africa during the Second World War, that uh, Montgomery, General Montgomery, the, the um, Allied commander there, had a, a really big picture of Ronald pinned up in his caravan. And uh, when asked... Uh, why he had Rommel's picture in his caravan, he just said in his rather posh and uh, uh, pompous way, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Well, we should know our enemy because people get ensnared. One commentator says the devil will benumb the conscience, I'm sure that's not a word, but make your conscience numb, uh, confuse the senses and paralyze the will. (coughs) And he snares people. And he takes them captive, alive. Now, I don't know if you know what this is. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a mousetrap. It's, uh, uh, we had a little spell when we had, um, uh, I'd go down in the morning to make a cup of tea and I'd um, say good morning to the mouse on the worktop by the kettle. I quite like mice, they're quite nice. Now, um, and then we'd have a little, I'd have a little discussion with him and he'd turn around and wander off. And, uh, I saw, and I thought, well, I could, I could take him out, really. So you get a mouse trap which breaks the back. Or you can get one of these. Which is really nice, because you, because, because I like mouse, okay, the mouse goes in, he gets the food, it tipples over, this thing goes down, then it shuts, and now I've got a mouse in my little mouse trap on that, then the issue is, of course, what do you do with it? Well, what I do is I tape it shut, put it in my pocket, cycle up to the top of the downs, and let it go. 
and it's then probably eaten by a kestrel five minutes later. But, uh, um, but, but this, you see, catching it live is what the devil does to us. He doesn't break our backs and kill us off. He catches us live. And he gets us to do his will. And he comes us into thinking that actually some of the stuff we're saying is actually good. And then he makes us kind of quarrelsome and pretty unpleasant in the way we deal with other people. He catches us live. Are we on the devil's team? We've been taken captive to do his will. Well, captives wreck the church. They derail the church. They uh, divert the church to, say, social work without the gospel or whatever. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are we in the trap? Has the devil taken us captive to do his will? His will of undermining and in the end destroying the church. Are we on his team, actually? Do we need to come to our senses and escape the trap of the devil that he has set that we've fallen into? The, uh, the Catholic Bible says the devil caught them and kept them enslaved. But it may not be you now, but do be aware it could be you in the future. So be careful. It's a warning for us all. Opponents, opponents of the gospel, opponents of the Bible, opponents of God's word. Uh, For instance, um, not believing the clear teaching of the Bible anymore. You know, some people might go on and say, I don't really believe in judgments anymore. I've read that book, Love Wins. So I believe now that love wins in the end. That there is no judgment and everyone goes to heaven. And then you can start arguing and debating with other people in a quarrelsome kind of way. That's a heresy, by the way. Don't bother reading the book. Or, uh, just because it was last weekend, for instance, um, you know, you might be saying, well, I'm not, not really so sure that we should be uh, so clear in saying that uh, uh, active LGBTI lifestyle falls short of God's standards. I'm really not, not so sure about that anymore. Um, not something that, uh, and when you're saying isn't something you should be celebrated or be proud about, well, I'm not quite sure I agree with you, and people would say. And, uh, um, well, let's be clear. Here, we welcome same-sex attracted people. Very welcoming to them. With open arms, LGBTI, you are welcome here. But just in the same way that God has standards of behavior, for those who are heterosexual in their relationships, so he does for all people of whatever sexual temptations and orientations and so on. And we need to be clear too that marriage is God's idea, so let's let him define it. And he has in the Bible. It's a lifelong commitment of one man to one woman. Now that's what we teach here. Uh, If you disagree... Let's go to the Bible together and let's gently discuss it. But let's not get quarrelsome about it. Let's do this like grown-ups. That's what the Bible's telling us to do. Not quarrelsome speculation. We go to God's word and let's see what the Bible's saying together. We'll do that together and we'll be united as we go forward. So, uh, um, 
we will disagree about things, yeah. But as we do so, there's going to be plenty of righteousness and faith and love and peace and kindness and teaching. There will be no resentment. There will be gentle instruction. There will be repentance from time to time. There will be. There needs to be in any good church. Uh, in other words, it means changing your mind about what you believe and what is right and is wrong. And there will be growing in the knowledge of the truth. And, uh, uh, and as we, from time to time, uh, we trust that people will, verse 26, come to their senses and change their minds. That's what repentance is. And we will give ourselves as a church and as our leaders an MOT from time to time, which has got four points on its checklist. One, are we an immoral team? Two, are we a quarrelsome team? Three, are we a harsh team? And four, are we the devil's team? Let's pray together. So we pray you'd help us to take these things away with us. Maybe read that again tonight. Ponder it. And we see a lot of this, Lord, is about the manner in which we might disagree with each other and how we go forward and how we learn and grow and mature as Christians. And that we know that in our leadership, we don't want to be quarreling. And amongst ourselves, we don't want to be quarreling. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us, because we're a team. And we want to help us, Lord, to be church in these areas so that we grow and understand more. Uh, and we do so by uh, gentle, godly, faithful, loving, discussing things together and learning from your word. Lord, we know how the devil would love to get in. Pray to help us to resist him, to flee the evil desires of youth and to pursue you and your goodness and faithfulness, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.